Grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ in the United Methodist Church of Uniontown. I'm Vicar Derek Kabilis, and this is Worship at Home for June the 14th in the year of our Lord, 2020. You know, in times like these, it can be so very easy to focus on what's wrong. What's wrong in our lives? What's wrong in our world? What needs to change? What we wish would stay the same? And, and maybe even what we want so desperately to go back to the way it was. And it's okay to have those thoughts. It's more than okay to want those things and to work for them if you can. But the thing is, if you get stuck there, if your life becomes an endless sort of struggle to achieve some goal or recapture some kind of lost glory or even to create a more just society, if you get stuck in the struggle, then soon you won't have anything left over for gratitude. If you spend all your bandwidth on working and striving and fighting against whatever it is, then you neglect the whole reason you were put on this earth in the first place. To experience the grace and joy of God. So this morning, as we listen to the prelude together, I invite you to take some time and revel in gratitude. Draw to your mind all the blessings you have and remember again how good it still is to live, to breathe, to stand in the sunshine of this good earth. In these moments before us, I hope you'll take some time to give thanks to your God.
Please join me in prayer. God of joy and grace, give us humor to fight our pride. Help us appreciate the absurd so we never take the normal for granted. Buttress our souls with laughter so that when the tears come, we know they will not last. By the light of your joy, we pray. Amen. And now, our first hymn is the first three verses of O for a Thousand Tongues to Sing. Today's scripture lesson comes to us from the 18th and 21st chapters of the book of Genesis, beginning at 18, verse 9. The angels said to Abraham, Where is your wife Sarah? And Abraham said, There, in the tent. Then one of the angels said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? And say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time I will return to you in due season, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. Abraham said, Oh yes, you did laugh. The Lord dealt with Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to his son, whom Sarah had bore. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born. Now Sarah said, 
God has brought laughter for me. Everyone hears will laugh with me. And she said, Who would ever have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. I wish to preach to you from this morning from the title, The Last Laugh. The Last Laugh. Please pray with me. And now, most holy and merciful God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O God, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So an elderly man comes into the confessional booth. He says to the father, Father, I am a 95-year-old widower. I have children and grandchildren, and yesterday I went out on a date with a 25-year-old model. And the priest said, well, that, that doesn't necessarily sound like a sin. As a Catholic, you're allowed to date anyone you want. The man says, oh, I'm not Catholic. I'm Jewish. And the priest said, so why are you telling me all this? The old man said, hey, I'm 95 years old. I'm telling everybody. <laughs> so a Methodist minister, a Baptist preacher, and a Jewish rabbi were all friends. And they used to get together and have coffee every week. One such day, an argument erupted between them about which of them was the best at winning new converts. Someone in a ta on a table nearby offered them a challenge and said the only way they could really find out which one of them was the best was to see if they could, could convert a bear. So over the course of the next week, each of them would venture out into the woods individually, find a bear, and try to convert it to their faith. Seven days later, they came back together. The Methodist minister had a few bumps and bruises, and, and he said, well, when I found the bear, he was not too happy with me, and he started pushing and clawing, but then I took out some bread and wine and gave it to him, and he became as gentle as a lamb. Next week, he's going to join my church. The Baptist looked a little bit rougher. He had a bandage over his head and his arm was in a sling. And he said, well, when I preached the gospel to the bear, he charged me and wrestled me into the river. But while we were in the water, I baptized him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and next week, he's joining my church. The rabbi did not look well at all. He was on a stretcher in a full-body cast. And he said, 
you know, perhaps circumcision was not the best way to start. <laughs> okay. So neither of those jokes were particularly hilarious. But tell me, did either of those jokes make you honestly, physically, audibly laugh? Allow me to venture a guess. If you're listening to this with someone else, you both probably laughed out loud, at least a little bit. But if you were listening to this alone, you may have just smiled or even chuckled a little, but odds are you didn't actually laugh. It could have been one of the most funny jokes ever told, and odds are, if you heard it while you were alone, you probably didn't laugh. It's a well-researched and proven fact that no matter who you are or how funny you think something is, you're 30 times more likely to laugh if you're around other people. 30 times! Even if you're listening to something wearing headphones and no one else can hear what you hear, if you're around other people, you're 30 times more likely to laugh out loud. The truth is, researchers don't know that much about laughter where it comes from, what evolutionary purpose it serves, or, or really what it actually is. But they do know some things. The first is that it is profoundly social. It's not that no one laughs when they are alone, but odds are, if you're laughing, someone else is around. Laughter seems to draw people together. It connects us. Hundreds of studies have been done that prove couples who laugh together stay together. Families that laugh with one another are healthier and happier, and that nothing binds us with someone who we just met quite like sharing a good laugh together. That's why you're supposed to watch a funny movie with other people. It's why sitcoms have laugh tracks and live studio audiences. Laughter is about coming together, sharing a kind of joy, participating in a kind of collective exuberance. They also know that the truest, most honest form of laughter is actually involuntary. It's created by spasms in your diaphragm. That's why sometimes when something really strikes you as funny, you'll laugh so hard that your stomach hurts. Or, or you may even be about to wet yourself, but it doesn't matter. You just can't stop. True laughter doesn't care who's watching. It doesn't care how loud you are. It doesn't care if you're embarrassing yourself. It doesn't even care if you just bought those pants. True laughter imposes itself on you. It possesses you. 
and takes you over with joy. Do you ever laughed like that? When was the last time? True laughter, you see, is an eruption from the deepest part of who we are. Last week, if you remember, we talked about the the Greek idea of the gut mind, the frame, that part of the mind that ancient people thought lived between your ribcage and your navel, that, that part of your mind that lived in what we now call the diaphragm. That's where they thought true laughter came from, from the gut mind. Even if you didn't know why something was funny or if, you're, if you were consciously trying not to laugh, the gut mind doesn't care. The gut mind finds it hilarious and doesn't wait for the head mind, the brain mind, to catch up. This is why babies laugh before they learn to speak. Why the average baby laughs over 200 times a day, while the average adult is lucky to hit 15. Laughter is a primordial part of who we are. I think it's actually a holy and innocent part of who we are. And the danger is that as we grow up, as we grow into our brains and our words, we all just sort of lose touch with just how surprising and funny and genuinely ridiculous the world really is. Now that's all true laughter, but there is another kind of laughter with which I'm sure you are familiar. It's called false laughter, or as I call it, head laughter. Head laughter doesn't come from the gut. It isn't so much an involuntary spasm of joy and exuberance as much as it's a kind of calculated response we develop to things that threaten us, confuse us, or even humiliate us. We all know that it's good to laugh at yourself once in a while, that it's healthy not to take yourself too seriously, but then again, we all know someone who laughs just a little too much at themselves, don't we? Someone who laughs just a little too hard and a little too loud at their own shortcomings. Someone who laughs for shame. And I get it. Laughing at yourself can be a pretty standard defense mechanism. I do it. People do it in church all the time. But just because it's so common doesn't change the fact that there's a whole ocean of laughter out there that is actually covering a deep seabed of pain. Do you ever laugh like that? To cover over pain? Or what about that other type of laughter? The most violent form of mirth. 
the laughter of mocking, the laughter of derision and contempt, that kind of, of almost anti-laughter. If laughing is supposed to be inherently communal, if it's supposed to be about bringing people together and informing connections, then laughter that mocks, that makes fun, that points and ridicules, that kind of laughter is meant to exclude and separate and reject. Make no mistake, brothers and sisters, this is the kind of laughter that breaks hearts, that ruins relationships, that even causes suicide. Do you ever laugh like that? Even from a distance? It's funny, isn't it? Laughter is such a big part of who we are, of what we do, of how we feel, of how we moderate our emotions and, and how we connect with or reject one another, yet we almost never talk about it. We almost never talk about when we do it or why we do it or maybe when we shouldn't do it. It's amazing to me that laughter is just, just so powerful. Oh, it can be joyful or mocking. It can be desperate or aggressive. Yet how often do we stop and consider how and why we laugh? So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? Tell me, why did Sarah laugh? Let's answer the Lord's question here for a second. Why did she laugh just then? Was it because she was genuinely surprised and overcome with joy upon hearing that she, an, an old lady, would conceive and bear a child? Was she elated by the idea that her dream would finally come true and just absolutely tickled by the thought of raising a son of her own? Or did her laughter come from some other place? Some place a little darker. Some corner of her mind riddled with a lifetime of shame and disappointment and disbelief. Put differently... Was her laughter an eruption from her gut or a defense mechanism from her head? Was it a spasm of joy or a shield against shame or even a sword against a husband foolish enough to keep believing this god of his? Now, I want to be very clear here. I do not want to blame Sarah for her laughter. 
in the Christian church, if we know that someone acts out of shame or fear, we don't blame them for it. We don't point and say, oh, look at her. Look how silly she is. Look how bad she is. That's not who we are. And, and it just compounds the problem. It just piles more fear and shame onto to what was already troubling the person. No, the Christian response is to try to understand the fear and the shame to try to empathize with it. And when you look into Sarah's story, that's not hard to do. Sarah and Abraham lived tough lives, especially Sarah. You know, they started off as relatively wealthy and stable, but then Abraham had some weird dream some crazy vision, hearing the voice of God. And they sold it all and started walking out into the wilderness. And then when they went through Egypt, a foreign land, Abraham, fearing for his own safety, had Sarah tell Pharaoh she was his sister, just so Pharaoh wouldn't kill Abraham to marry her. The text is unclear, but Abraham may have even let Pharaoh take his wife to bed. And then when they had to flee Egypt, they had to flee persecution, they had to flee famine, and all the while, Sarah's barren. She can't have the child she was promised. She had to watch Abraham have a child by another woman, the child that she was supposed to have, the child who was supposed to be a blessing to her, the child who was supposed to be a joy to her. Can you blame her for feeling self-conscious and ashamed? Can you blame her for not trusting another one of her husband's conversations with God? Can you blame her for laughing? Just like Abraham did, by the way, back in chapter 17, at the utter ridiculousness that somehow Sarah and Abraham could still be blessed. That somehow Sarah could still have joy in her life. That somehow... Things might just turn out okay for her. Ha, ha, ha. She probably thought it was a cruel joke. But what I hope you see is that that's the amazing thing about the grace of God. <coughs> it's a promise so grand and extraordinary, a gift of such ridiculous proportions, so extreme in its gratuity, that if it were a promise that came from anybody else, it would be cruel. It would be a joke. But the amazing thing about grace is that it comes from a God who keeps his promises. Oh, Sure, it might not always happen when we think it will. And, and, and there might be, uh, there will be some suffering and pain and frustration and heartache along the way. But all of that garbage, all of that baggage only pales in comparison 
to the grand magnificence of the final gift. The very idea that in her old age, in the midst of her bitterness, her angst and shame and disappointment, she could still be blessed by God. That even despite her angry, self-conscious, insecure, defense mechanism laughter, God could find a way to still tickle her. To make her laugh, not through her head, but through her gut, through her very belly, through her womb. That she would laugh that uncontrollable, unstoppable, pee-in-your-pants-and-not-even-care kind of laughter. Because that's what it is when God keeps God's promises. It's not a chuckle or a chortle. It's not a, a titter or a giggle. It's a side-splitting, rolling-in-the-aisle, gut-busting burst of joy in peace and acceptance and forgiveness. It's a convulsion of blessedness, if you will. <clears throat> Boy, I hope you've experienced that kind of grace. I really hope at least once in your life you've known what it is to just laugh and laugh and laugh in gratitude for everything with which God has blessed you. I hope you have eyes to see and a mind to recognize that you have been blessed. That despite whatever pain you might be feeling right now, despite the tough times that we're all living in, despite the past, the betrayals, the broken promises, the, the dreams that just never seem to come true, you, like Sarah and Abraham, can still be brought to your knees in laughter and joy and thanks for what God has given you. The boy, by the way, was to be named Isaac. That's our English transliteration of the Hebrew name Yitzhak. And you know what Yitzhak literally means? Laughter. Now let me tell you something. And I believe this with all my heart. At the end of the day, God doesn't merely promise survival. He doesn't merely promise to get you through the day. He doesn't even promise you that much no but what he does promise to each and every one of us is that we like sarah will give birth to yitzhak we will give birth to laughter that from our very gut will spring forth the very personification of joy itself and when that happens, whenever that happens, even if you're 95 years old, your job will be to tell everybody. 
These words I offer to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I hope you'll take some time to pray right now. To pray in whatever form or style you wish. And I ask that you would remember the special requests of our community that are printed on the worship sheet that you should have seen near this podcast. And now, brothers and sisters, may the love of God the Father, the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with you and be with you, now and always. Amen.